Good morning. Christians in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a joy to be with you all this morning. Um, with the believers as well from Brackenest Baptist Church. Um, good to have you guys. And you hope that uh, your, your uh, being with us this morning will be a blessing to you. Um, also, let me welcome some of those who, who are also uh, visiting us for the first time. I saw Slindile and uh, brother there at the back, forgot his name. And I see uh, um, a brother who came with Annette. Uh, <laughs> what's your name, brother? Uh, Belton. Okay, Delton. All right, welcome. Uh, feel at home, and uh, I hope you, you, you will be blessed as you join us for hearing God's word. We continue with our series in James. Um, we've been going through James, and then we just finished chapter one last week, Sunday. Um, and today we're going to look at um, chapter two. So we're looking at James, um, looking at the theme of practical Christianity. As James uh, writes this letter to the believers, um, the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Let us look at chapter 2, verses 1 up until verses 13. James chapter 2, verse 1 up until verse 13. We're looking at the subject of the sin of partiality, the, the sin of partiality, or the sin of favoritism. Let us read from God's word, James chapter 2, verses 1 up, uh, up until verses 13. I read from the ESV. Follow me as I read. This is God's word. Let us hear him. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, and while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not uh, then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the real law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For the judgment, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And this is the word of God. 
Amen. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your faithfulness to speak to us. It is our prayer, Lord, that you will speak to us. Draw us to yourself. Teach us your word. Give us hearts that will receive it gladly to act upon it. May you be honored, Father, as you speak to us. Help me to speak your word with a clarity of speech and clarity of thought that your name will be honored even this morning. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi, in his autobiography, wrote that during his student days, when um, he, at some point he, he read the Gospels seriously and considered converting to Christianity, he believed that in the teachings of Jesus, he could find the solution for the caste system. Uh, the caste system was a system that divides people based on their social class. Um, and, and it was dividing the people of, of India. So one, one Sunday, he decided to attend services at a nearby church and talk to the minister about becoming a Christian. When he entered the, the sanctuary, um, however, he, the, 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 the usher refused to give him a seat and suggested that he go and worship with his people. Go and worship with his kind. Gandhi left the church and never returned again. He said, if Christians have cased differences as well, I might as well remain a Hindu. You see, the, the, what the Asha did, um, his prejudice, not only betrayed Jesus, but also turned a person away from trusting him as savior. In this passage that we just read, James addresses a similar issue among the believers that he's writing to. They were marked by partiality in the way they received and, and treated people who would visit their worship gatherings. They would treat people with they, they, they would treat some people with respect while others were treated with disdain. What, what James does here in these verses um, that we just read is that he unmasks partiality and shows us the evil of it. He, 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 he exposes it for the evil it is. And he does so by giving us here three charges against Partiality. Three charges against partiality. He shows us that partiality undermines our faith, first of all. Secondly, partiality undermines God. Thirdly, partiality undermines God's word. Let us look at the first one. The first charge against partiality is that partiality undermines our faith. And we see that in verses 1 up until verses 4. My brothers... Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil? thoughts 
James in these verses that we just read now is concerned with showing how partiality undermines the Christian faith. And note the manner that he approaches the situation. He says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. The, the, the immediate thing to notice here is that he is addressing Christians, my brothers. That, that's a, that's a, a, a generic term that refers to brothers and sisters. See, he is talking to people who have trusted the Lord. He is talking to people who have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In chapter 1, verse 18, these are people um, who, who, who have been brought forth by the word of truth. And this is where we should appreciate and praise God for the scriptures. God has not left us to our own devices. God has not left us to, to figure out this Christian thing all by ourselves. He has graciously given us his word to be our guide and, and counselor. And this is the case because oftentimes we, we walk out of step with what God calls us to be. We walk contrary to the faith we have been called, um, called to. So, so one of the functions of scripture is to expose the, the contrary life that is unpleasing to God and, and call us to a life lived out to the glory of God. It is the Father's answer to the Son's high priestly prayer in John 17, 17, when he says, Sanctify them in your word, for your word is truth. James says to the believers here, show no partiality as you hold faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And here is the issue that threatened the, the testimony of the church to the world. Partiality. The NIV translates the word as favoritism, which is from the Greek word um, that literally means receiving the face receiving the face it gives us the idea of making judgments based on external appearances the greek word is actually plural here it suggests that it touches widely on any act of favoritism whether it be favoritism based on skin color nationality or socio-economic conditions this is the kind of partiality that the bible condemns James goes on to address a practical problem that was happening in the church. The way he addresses it suggests that um, although it seems like a, hypothet a hypothetical uh, um, scenario that he's painting here, it suggests that something similar was happening in the church. What was happening when they gathered together. Two individuals visit the, the gathering of the saints. Uh, let us call them Mr. Shiny and Mr. Shabby. They come into the church. They, they are strangers to this gathering. It is seen in the fact that they don't know where to sit. They, they can't find their sitting. They are waiting to be allocated their seat. Mr. Shiny is described as wearing a gold ring and fine clothing. You can imagine him coming in. No need to ask if he's a rich man, right? It's clear. His, his opulence is, is evident. He has money and he's not afraid to show it. All the attention turns to him. They can't contain their excitement when they see him, possibly fighting for his attention to offer him a good seat, to offer him the best seat. 
Then after all the hullabaloo about this Mr. Shiny, they see Mr. Shabby in the corner. No one wants to greet him. He's clearly a poor man wearing shabby clothes. Probably not educated. No one wants to talk to him. Probably a bit smelly as well. He approaches them and before he even gets to them, he, he hears, you sit over there. They, they show him the corner. Uh, and probably this man, they, they see that he, he has a problem with his legs and he can't stand for, for, for a long time. And begrudgingly, they say to him with a harsh, cold tone, well, if you have to sit, come sit down at my feet. Uh, this is the, the highest form of disrespect. I don't care about him. Come sit at my feet. They don't, give an, they don't even give him a footstool. He sits next to the footstool, not on the footstool. Why is this happening? One word. Appearance. One looks more important in the eyes of the, uh, and the other is insignificant. James considers, uh, I mean, consider here James's diagnosis of this behavior in verse 4. James paints this scenario and he diagnoses it. He says, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and have become judges with evil thoughts? And here's the point that James is making here. He says to them, you have a skewed view of glory. You are ascribing glory to things you should not be ascribing glory to. As Christians, we should come to an awareness that Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. You see how he, he talks about Jesus Christ in verse 1. He says, he is, he says he's our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. He's the glorious one. We should come to an awareness that Jesus Christ must be the center of attraction when we meet together as believers. This means, brothers and sisters, that glory is not in the color of the skin that someone has. Glory is not in the wealth that they have or their nationality or their level of education to think this way James says is to be judges with evil thoughts remember how James addressed the poor and the rich in chapter 1 verses 9 um, to, to 11 he, he called them to have a to have a right view of themselves right to, to not uh, view themselves in terms of the, the worth, uh, to not view their worth as, as in having material things or in not having material things, right? We, we, we must come to that understanding that the worth of people is not based on what they have. It is not based on what they lack, but it is based on the fact that they are made in the image of God. They are the imago Dei. They bear the image of God. When we have that view, we will, not have, we will not be confused as to where glory truly goes. Who is more glorious? In fact, 
if you notice what James is doing here, he's exposing the fact that if you are ascribing glory to the fact that Mr. Shiny is wearing a gold ring and, and fine clothing, and so he deserves glory, it's actually idolatry. Uh, your heart is in the wrong place. Your ultimate and supreme treasure is not truly Christ. When that is the case, it invariably undermines the Christian faith because we forget that all men are needy before the Lord and are equal at the foot of the cross. Right? I keep saying this, that, uh, you know, in Christ... There is no door for the rich and a door for the poor, right? Everyone gets in through one door by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ alone. Before God, there are no gradations in man. God does not see other people as better than other people. And so when we hold our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we must be people that are not partial. We must be people that are shaped by scripture in our thinking. James's point here is that as a Christian, you cannot hold uh, uh, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in one hand and hold partiality in the other. It's not possible. So he calls them and he exposes the fact that to do, so, to do so is to undermine our faith. And secondly, the second charge he brings against partiality is that partiality undermines God. Partiality undermines God. We see that in verses 5 to verse 7. Listen. My beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? And the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? James here explains that at the core of partiality is a heart that disregards God. It's a heart that undermines God. God is an impartial God. And for a Christian to be marked by partiality, it is to scoff at God. In fact, it is to think that your standard of determination of worth is better than God's standard. Jesus taught um, that the kingdom was especially designed for the poor. When you look at Luke chapter 6, verse 20. And however, uh, these to whom James is writing to were denigrating the poor and, and exalting the rich. It must be understood what James is saying here, uh, that God's grace is the only basis for anyone's salvation. 
James is not saying that um, you know salvation is by being poor. You know, when you're poor, you are automatically saved. In fact, it is seen in the fact that he is the the, the word choose or chosen here is in the middle voice. It, it it signifies that God's choice is of special significance to Himself. The poor are not chosen simply because of their financial condition, no more than the rich rejected because of their wealth. You see, all, all have the same invitation and are called in, in precisely the same way. The, 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 the gospel is God's means of, of calling. But oftentimes when you observe, the poor are often, often experience a sense of needing God. While on the other hand, the rich are often complacent and independent. James shows that these chosen ones, these chosen ones, he shows how these chosen ones are, who respond to, to God's gracious offer of salvation, how they are privileged. First, he says they are chosen by God. Though rejected by the world in, 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 in many ways, they are, uh, they, they are supreme, they have supreme worth in the sight of God. And secondly, Despite being virtually bankrupt in this materialistic age, they are rich in faith. We should not judge individuals based on what they have, but on who they have. And this should, should point the fact that true riches are not deposited in banks. Right? They are deposited in human hearts who are rich in Christ and who are already seated with him in the heavenly places. The poor of this world can, can become rich in faith by God's grace. When we become children of God, we also become heirs of his kingdom. In verses 6 to 7, James makes a pointed rebuke and then asks two questions to show how his reader's behavior is inconsistent with God's grace. And at the heart, it undermines God himself. In doing so, he gives two reasons why we should not discriminate against the poor. He says in verse 6, In doing this, in showing partiality, you have dishonored the poor. You have dishonored the poor. First, to discriminate against people based merely on social wealth or, or status dishonors those to whom God has granted grace. And, and therefore, it disregards or undermines God because we, we place our standard of estimation higher than God's standard. And the second reason for avoiding partiality comes in the form of three parallel questions that he asks, each expecting a positive answer. Uh, James here fumes at, his, uh, 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 at the people that he's writing to for their contradictory behavior. He is not suggesting favor for favor here, right? So what, we, we, what we need to understand. He stresses that showing the rich flattery and favoritism to get ahead is wrong. And these three questions leveled at, 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 three, at a threefold charge against 
the non-believing rich. Listen to what he says. He says, uh, but you have dishonored the poor. Then he goes on, he says, are not the rich the ones who oppress you? You see, the godless, affluent people exploited the Christians who, were, who, 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 who courted their, their favor. The, the people who wanted favor from the rich were oppressed by the rich. The word oppressed here is a, is a very rare uh, compound word. It is used in, in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, when it talks about um, how the demons oppressed people that Jesus uh, delivered. Again, he asked the questions, are they not the ones who drag you into courts? You see, those to whom James uh, uh, readers or, or, or recipients of the letter gave the best seats at the synagogue returned the favor by dragging Christians into court, likely having, uh, having already uh, bought off the, 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 the judgment already. You know, they know the outcome before they go to court. The word drag here is a, is a vigorous word of, for, for violent treatment. They were being treated harshly. James probably had in mind cases involving debt, rent, property, disputes, and the like, and even taking their, their properties. And he says again, do they not blaspheme the beautiful name by which you were called? Here James saves the, the worst accusation until last. We, we derive the word blaspheme uh, from, a, from a transliteration of the, of the Greek. It, it means to, to speak evil of. It, it means to slander, to, to be intentionally irreverent. These people were characterized by irreverence for God's name. James calls it the beautiful name of, of Jesus Christ. They, they, they were slandering the name. They were speaking evil of this name. One can imagine uh, rich Jewish unbelievers slandering followers of Jesus as disciples of a cursed criminal. And James says, how could you show undue preference to those who insult the poor or the followers of Christ or both? James did not mention Jesus' name, but he spoke of the honorable or the beautiful name here of Jesus. The point that he's making is that people who are undermining God, right? The, the rich who are undermining God, who are blaspheming the, the, the name of God, you, you show favor to against people who want God. And James says that's not, that doesn't make sense. It, it makes no sense to, to, to show preference for those who are blaspheming the name of God and those who, who, who are poor and, and see their need for God, you, you shun. Crazy. It's madness. It's foolishness. So James brings the charge and says that undermines 
God. So thirdly, he says, by showing partiality, you are undermining your faith. And secondly, you are undermining God. And thirdly and lastly, he says, by showing partiality, you are undermining God's word. You are undermining God's word. Verses 8 up until verse 13. If you really fulfill the, the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The point that James is making here is clear. Scripture testifies against partiality. It shows us how partiality is not in step with the Christian faith. For a Christian to know that the word of God condemns partiality and still go ahead and be characterized by partiality shows a blatant disregard for the word of God. Remember how James in chapter 1 verses 19 to 25 is at pains to show us how, how the word of God must have a place of authority in the life of Christians. How our response to God's word must be to hear it gladly, to, to receive it humbly, and to, to do it joyfully. How he's showing that the word of God must have authority over us and we must submit to it. James here, as if he's anticipating that the, the believers would say that, James, that's actually what we're doing when we receive the, the rich. Uh, he anticipates the, the, their objection in verse 8, uh, probably thinking in, in, in their minds, saying, James, but by, showing the, by, by, by showing the rich um, to the best seat, we, we are only following the biblical command to, to show proper honor where honor is due. After all, if we were rich ourselves, that's how we would want to be treated. We're just following the golden rule. With tongue-in-cheek, James says, that's fine. That's okay. If you claim to be fulfilling God's law of love, you're doing well. Keep it up. And, and, and as they hear James, they start patting themselves in the back and congratulating themselves. And as they begin to congratulate themselves, James lends the knockout punch in verse 9. He says, but if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. The law, the word of God can convict the motives that people can't see. It goes straight to the heart. James calls the law here the royal law. 
probably referring to the, the whole law as interpreted and handed over to the church in the teaching of Jesus Christ, King Jesus, and we as his subjects. You see, the, the, the law is contained in scripture, and, and we must know that the Bible is our authoritative rule of life. It, it reveals God's will for, for how we should think and, and how we should live. So we should always read and study it with a view of how to apply it in our daily lives. The word of God, we must bring ourselves uh, before the word of God and bring it to bear upon our minds and, and consciences. James singles out the command here from Leviticus 19 verse 18, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus referred to it as the second great command. And after saying to them, um, you shall love your, your, the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, he, he added in, in verses, uh, 20, I mean, chapter 22, verse 40, he adds this, he says, on these two commandments, depend the whole law and the prophets. And when he says the whole law and the prophets, he refers to the totality of scripture in that context, which was the Old Testament scriptures. Just prior to, to the command to, to love our neighbor, in, 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 in Leviticus 19, Moses wrote in verse 15, you shall do you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you, you are to judge your neighbor fairly. So part of biblical love for one's neighbor includes treating each person fairly and impartially. Verses 10 and 11, James warns these believers about the danger of selective obedience, right? We, we spoke about it when we spoke about responding to the word of God. Remember that Sunday plate. Sunday plate with different kinds of food, and there are some foods that you don't like that are not suitable for your palate, and you put aside, and you choose what to eat. And these, are pe these people were doing the same thing. They were being selective with God's word. They were looking at other, other passages that they would agree with and there were passages that they would not even look at. They would not consider those passages. And James calls them not to be partial, not to be, not to be selective when they approach the word of God. Right? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. All of it. Right? And all of it is profitable to teach us, to rebuke us, to reprove us, and to train us in righteousness. All of it. Not some parts that you like. Right? It is not like Mark Twain who took the Bible and wanted to remove verses that he didn't like and he started cutting them out and he hit the Bible and he said, this is what I agree with. I think it's Augustine who says, if you only agree with parts of the Bible that you like, you are not agreeing with the Bible, you are agreeing with yourself. James calls them here against selective obedience. This was the great failing of the Pharisees. 
they would be very scrupulous and meticulous about certain laws while ignoring all the rest. You see, selective obedience fails to see the fundamental unity of the law. If you refrain from committing adultery but commit murder, you are guilty of breaking the law. Curtis Vaughan puts it like this. He says, to break one link in a chain is to break the chain. By the way, here, James is showing us why we are sinners. The law of God is a code of conduct that tells us what God wants us to do and not do. Any failure is sin, and any sin makes us transgressors and disqualifies us from standing acceptably in the, in the presence of God. God did not give us his laws so that we can be saved through keeping them. If that were the case, no one would be saved. No one could be saved. God gave his law to, to show us how very far short we fall of his requirements and, and therefore how desperately in need we are of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. The purpose of God's law is to convict us as transgressors so that we will flee to Christ the Lord of glory, the ultimate and supreme treasure. But I want, I want you to also remember that the people that James is talking to here are, are people who know God's word. I, I can even go further and say these are people who desire to, to, to keep and, and they love God's word. But they had blind spots. And one of those blind spots is partiality or favoritism. James exposes those blind spots. And the question is, how does James call them to remedy these blind spots that he's, he's exposing? He calls, them to the, he calls them back to the word of God, the, the law of liberty, verse 12, right? The law of liberty. The, the, the fact that when you stand before the throne, you, you won't be judged according to your works because you are judged. If you are judged according to your works, you will be condemned. But you are judged according to Christ's works. And you are accepted according to Christ's works. And you are declared righteous according to Christ's works. And you are invited into the kingdom of God because of Christ's works. That's, that's the law of liberty. He, he, says, he says here, if, if you receive the mercy of God, if you received that liberty, that, that freedom from the bondage of sin and the condemnation through the mercy and grace of God, how are you going to treat other people? How are you going to respond to other people? Right? People who are different from you. Different uh, skin color, different nationality, different socioeconomic status. How are you going to respond to those kind of people? Different education level. Is your heart going to overflow with mercy, with compassion? 
with kindness. The same kindness that the Lord showed you. God showed us kindness when we did not deserve it. So that we can show kindness to others as well. And if it's not overflowing with mercy, if your heart is not overflowing with mercy, just tell me this morning, is that an indication that you have never tasted mercy at all? Is it because you don't know the mercy of God? You're not a recipient of the mercy of God. Now here, shallow favoritism is sinning against the rule of Christ and, and the whole law of God. And it's inviting the strictest judgment before God. A vital faith, brothers and sisters, will lead our demonstrating mercy in accepting others especially those who are different from us, those who, who make us uncomfortable, those who are less fortunate than we are. And it would transform our Christianity. It would transform our Christian witness if we really began to live this out. Let me add this as well. Just considering our country, the, 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 the kind of history that our country has, that the wounds, some of the wounds that are still not healed, what we continue to see even today in, in media and social media where people are fighting, you know, fights based on, on skin color, where, where people are fighting and, and saying, my kind is supreme and, and yours is not. We find ourselves in that kind of country. This is what I believe. I believe that the, the, the best apologetic from the church to the world is by showing how in the midst of our differences, we are brothers and sisters who find their identity in Christ, who, who find the fact that there is no one supreme among us, but there's only one who is truly supreme, Jesus Christ our Lord. And we truly learn to be impartial when we look at Jesus Christ, right? When we look at what God did through Christ, right? Think about the gospel. Romans chapter, six, chapter 1 verse 6, it says, Paul saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to those who believe, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. You see, God did not choose between the Jew and the Gentile. He, he, he sent Christ to save both the Jew and the Gentile. You see, God does not choose whether you are rich or you're not. I, I saw a church in Pretoria. The name of the church is Millionaires or Billionaires Tabernacle. But God doesn't choose whether you have anything in your pockets or or what? He doesn't choose the color of your skin or your background. He doesn't choose what tribe you are from, what nationality you are from. He chooses you because of his love. Right? You cannot look back and say, oh man, oh man, oh man. God, you couldn't, you, you just couldn't hold yourself, right? 
You just saw me and you had to save me. No. None of us here deserve to be saved. None of us deserve the kindness of God. Rich, poor, CEO, or, or, or whether you, 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 you're working in the garden, we stand equal before the foot of the cross. As I said, there are no gradations when God looks at us. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we can be confident that when we come before you, it is not riches that you are, you are expecting from us. It is not because we are of a certain background or an edu educational background. We, we thank you that you save us despite all these things. We pray that you work in our hearts, oh God, how we dishonor you a lot of times with our lives by being partial, by showing favoritism based on race, based on nationality, based on wealth. We, we resign ourselves to you, oh God, to work in our hearts, sanctify us in your word, for your word is truth. May you glorify your name in our lives, even this morning. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen.